There's an economy of energy in our economy of uh, enthusiasm. What were some of the songs you loved that influenced you? In the riot squad, they're restless. They need somewhere to go. Penny Lane is in my ears and in my Beside a garden wall when stars are bright. When this whole world starts getting me down And people are just too much You know, just something you have to feel, like... It's been a long, long time coming I know, I know Change has gotta come Song Chronicles is proud to present Part two of an interview with singer songwriter, producer, author, and three time Grammy nominee. Hi, uh, this is Peter Case, and you're listening to Song Chronicles. At the start of this second part of our conversation in Santa Monica, April 2019, I asked Peter about a place we had both been invited to the year prior. It was a songwriter retreat in Lafayette. You're listening to Song Chronicles, part two. Peter Case. They shut the gate, the inbounds late. There's no one here, I'm trying to get it straight. Ain't going nowhere, I'm waiting on a plane. You were in Louisiana collaborating every day what was that like it was different you know I had really good luck with Mary Gachet you know like it's like writing with John Prine or somebody I wrote with Prine you know it's like these it's like falling off a log you know but uh, with Mary Gachet I mean what do you got to do you know just kind of like just show up and try to stay on your feet you know you know I noticed the same with Mary like we got a really pretty you know we got lucky on the first day and got like a really beautiful song you know and, and then on the second and third days I noticed she hadn't played hers and I I played one. It's hard to play those songs if they're not really, uh, I don't really like to play stuff that's not really good, you know? Uh, and it's like, I want to keep working on it, you know? I mean, if you play them too premature, it could, like, kill up in the crib, you know? So it's hard to go down to a thing like that. Like, that's a really big discipline at that place, to play songs that you haven't even uh, finished, really. It's crazy. Like, Dave Alvin, you know, like, a lot of people sit around, like, a lot of us, like, you know, I'd sit around with Steve Souls and Bob Newert and... You know, Elvis Costello came in one time when we were doing this. We used to always sit around in the rooms, you know, Victoria used to do it, and we'd sit around and play songs on acoustic guitars and pass around guitars and sort of have a party like that. And Dave would never do it because he just won't. He's going to be on stage, the song's going to be complete. You know, he wants the whole thing. Like, he doesn't want just the, under, it's not just the rehearsed part, it's also the production. and the. So you think that's a weakness? No, it's just a choice. Yeah. It's definitely not a weakness, it could be a strength, I don't know. You know, uh, it's just another way of approaching things. I come from way back of, like, sitting around with acoustic guitars, singing to people, you know. Yeah, the people I grew up around, that's yeah. what they did. It's what everybody did back then. Hang, hang out all night long, yeah. play a tune. That's what people did. Song doctoring each other's tunes. Hey, what do you think of this? Yeah. Yeah, I met Minnie Pearl and down in Nashville one time, and we were talking about Hank Williams, and she was telling me that Hank would, they'd all go on tour together, and backstage you'd come around the corner and listen to this which do you like it better like this you play one way and then, or like this and they play the other way you know and walk up to people and ask them what they thought and 
that's one way of writing. I don't know. It's a mystery, really. Writing. It's hard to. It's hard to really know how it works or what you can do or what you can't do. It's always different. There's so many people trying to do it. To really have high hopes for it and like high ambitions for the songs is kind of where it's at for me. Like I want to bring something that really has a, a lightning bolt in it, you know, for people or a gift in it, you know, that you can lay on people. You, you know, we're not just trying to take up time. You know, you don't want to bore the audience. You don't want to um, waste their time. That's tricky to think about. And then if people are paying to see you, you know, you don't think they're paying their hard-earned money, you know. So you really want to have something good for them. You know, we've all been guilty of, like, getting up on stage and having less to offer than we thought at different times. And so once you've done that a few times, you know, you don't ever want to do it again. And I, I try to keep, I try to make every show, you know, I try to keep the standards up no matter who's there and what's happening and who's playing and what's going on. You always try to, like, really bring it, you know. Same with writing. But... I write other things besides songs. It's all it's all kind of the same now. I got a book. I just optioned the book to these guys and they're making a movie and I'm in it of this as far as you can get without a passport and they're they're filming that. I guess it's kind of a documentary, but they have the book. Oh yeah, I got a book. I've got a couple books. And so Any poetry? I don't really write poetry. I don't know why that is. I think it's because as a songwriter, every time I would write poetry I would mine it for songs. And so the poems never really, if there's a poem, I wrote poetry for my, you know, eighth grade girlfriend, you know, and, and then I burned it all one night on acid, you know. I never really wrote much after that, but I do write things all the time, but I don't call them poetry, but I do, I've been putting things up on my site that are sort of like these raps, ruminations, or poems, or just, they're not prose and they're not poetry because they're not really in meter. So I do write things like that, there's these, uh, electro blips of writing but I, I don't you can see them over there if you go to latest words on my website I love that you're writing on your website it's you've got a blog and you keep putting things up yeah, there yeah I put stuff up there it, it helps get people over there but you know I, I uh, there's a book actually that, behind all that you know those are the things that make it up there are just like outtakes from the book really so I don't know yeah just trying to stay stay groovy man and, and you got this documentary as well I don't know. Following you, know, you around. I feel like I got this far in life without a documentary, so I'm not too worried about it. Because if it doesn't work out, I just don't have to watch it, and I don't care. And they wanted to make it about me. I didn't try to promote them on it, and so I don't have to like really about worry about how I look or anything because they already wanted to do it. That's really the way I look. Mm -hmm. So fuck it. You know what I mean? You know, I can't worry about that. And so you uh, still got a great head of hair. I got my hair. Oh, I don't know how I did that, but my dad always had hair too. You know. Yeah. Yeah, and so uh, that's good. Still the color it came in at. I guess it's kind of starting to get kind of weird looking, but the color changed just a little bit. But, you know, yeah, it's good to have hair, you know. Can't go <laughs> wrong with you got to made if you like your hair. And so... Uh, You're still bringing it, and it doesn't feel like there's any signs of you getting bored with it. No, because there's something... It's part of a bigger thing, really, you know, playing music. It's not just about getting attention for yourself or something. You know, it's about... I used to get nervous when the arrows were coming in on me. And then I was over one time in the Cambridge Folk Festival. I'd been up for a few days flying in there. I don't know if I was drunk or what. I don't think I was. I think it was like after that. And I was scared, though. It was like a big 10,000-seat place. I was all alone. I was jet-lagged. I'd been up for a few days. And I was alone. And the audience seemed like really rowdy. You know, they were all drinking Guinness or whatever. Big mob of people. And I had to go. They threw me up on stage from this huge place. All of a sudden, I realized that the arrows had to be going out. They're not coming in. Like my profile, what people think of me, none of that matters. You know, what matters is like what we're going to broadcast, what we're sending out to that audience, and what we're saying. And so I had these songs like 
poor old Tom and traveling light and put down the gun. And I, I was lucky enough to have some songs that I felt confident about. I'm putting this out, you know. I've been given these things. They all came to me, they're kind of like given to me. And I'm going to put them out there and like, that's my job, you know, to send it. And so uh, that's what I do. I send it. And it's not about being on the receiving end because like it doesn't really help to be on any kind of receiving end for me because a lot of times it just makes things worse, you know. So, <laughs> you know, I'm better off just, you know, completely sending it and not letting things go to my head and always just be, you know, my heroes uh, and heroines are people that do that. I like Alice Notley, the poet Alice Notley. Most of my favorite records now are books, you know. Do I like a record every now and again? I can't think of one, though. There must be one. Do you still listen to vinyl? To what? Vinyl. Oh, yeah, I always listen to vinyl. And uh, I like really good songs, you know, so I'm, I've always liked that. And so, like, I like Frank and Cindy from Dead Rock West. That's the latest album they did, I think, is Beautiful Songs. But I like them especially when they do it live, you know. It's very stripped down and beautiful. And they're like love songs, and they're kind of heartbroken, and they're really good, you know. You going home tonight? No. Tomorrow? Yeah, going home early tomorrow. You have been here a week? Almost. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, I came here a day early and rehearsed with some of those musicians, and then I'm going back tomorrow, and I don't know if I have a gig for a couple of weeks. I'm going up to the Northwest next, and uh, I have a lot of work to do at home. Do you find if you have a break from gigging, the first gig just causes stress? A little bit. You have to watch your voice, because you can lose your voice unless you sing a lot before the gig. And uh, you have to make sure that you're out, you know, you're not going to lose, you can, it's really easy to lose your voice at the first gig. And, uh, no, sometimes it does, but I'm, I've been playing so much that really I don't, I've been playing a lot, so I don't, even a few weeks off, I don't feel too uptight. Do you change your set constantly? Not constantly. I change things in the set, and then certain things, I'm, on this last year or two, I've been focusing on that. A lot of the main part of the set is the Highway 62 stuff, and then, uh, and then I've been doing, you know, I do different songs from different albums as that, that changes. And uh, that's about it. You know, I, I do change it. But I keep playing that group of songs. I still play a lot of songs from Blue Guitar, and I play a lot of songs from, uh, I play songs from those two records I did in the 90s with Andrew Williams. Full Stewart's No Wedding and Flying Saucer Blues, I play songs from there. And then I, I, every once in a while I get into a kick and I'll play, and I've been playing some Plimsoll songs lately. So, yeah, there's a lot of different things, and there's some covers I do once in a while and things, you know, so different things happen. Yeah, you gotta, you got to mix it up or you get bored, you know, so you got to keep yourself. And then there's different songs that I'll re revitalize to play, you know, it's... Uh, so that's about it, though. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's my, my thing. You know, trying to stay inspired and on a high level, I have, like, a lot of hope, really, for, you know... I have a lot of hope for the songs I'm gonna write. I don't know what that hope is exactly. It's like I talk, like maybe what Berkson says about the, you know, the energy of it, the spiritual energy of it, or the economy of ideas, or whatever, or just, just hit writing, you know, making something beautiful. I know Towns Van Zandt used to always talk about, you know, I'm gonna write the perfect song. You know? And uh, maybe he did, you know, finally. He wrote a real couple of great ones at the end, you know. I don't know. It is satisfying to write songs, like, you know, as you well know. You start with nothing, and at the end of it, you have this song after a few hours or whatever it takes, you know, and you've put together this thing that's come out of, like, outer space. Like, what? You can play it for people, and, like, you know, they might dig it, and, you know, it's an incredible gift to be able to do. Not everybody can do it, though a lot of, a lot of people can do it, but to do it in a powerful way, it's so exciting, you know, to feel, you know, the, one that's, the songs that surprise you or that, you know, really feel worthwhile or you know they're beautiful or funny or some aspect of that yeah 
it's really fun, man. And so I've always been into that the most. Like there was the people that were the lead guitar players as Led Zeppelin kind of started going and Jeff Beck. I remember guys that were like, you know, they went in that direction and there was the drummers, you know, and they got the girls a lot of the time. And there was guys like me or, you know, girls like you, different kinds of people that were writing the songs. And, you know, it was a different vibe that wasn't always celebrated by everybody. Lonelier behind the scenes. Sometimes, you know? Yeah. Or a lot of times, like, or the songs aren't really working out, or they don't like the way you sing. Or I remember, like, guys stand right in front of me talking to each other, like, yeah, Pete's a singer. Like, he just shouts a lot of the time, but, you know, then they talk right in front of you about it, you know? I mean, you know, they were right, you know? When I was a kid, you know, a lot of shouting. But I just always landed on that side of it. And I remember having to make a choice at one point, because, like, that whole kind of hard rock juggernaut was heading off down the tracks or else you were going to be into like Bob Dylan the band and that kind of stuff Joni Mitchell and I took my choice you know that's actually a good point one of the things I love so much about what you're doing is you're harking back to folk music blues but you don't sound derivative of them which happens so often where somebody will do something in a style they love and they don't find their own voice in it and to me that's one of the gifts of doing it a long time is that you keep borrowing and it distills. And you know, one of the things that I've heard as a thread throughout everything you've said today is that there's a level of purity, a distillation that's occurred over the years when, when you shed more things. The posturing can go, the record companies can go, the need to be approved of can go, the, the record sale hopes can go, everything can go and it gets down to the purity of the desire to connect with a great song and then and then the presentation of that song. Yeah, and give it to people, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. It's sort of a calling. And at different points, you go through periods where you're way influenced by one thing or the other. And you have to sing through those to get to yourself or to get, something, or to, get to something that you want to claim for yourself. I don't really know if there is a self that really sounds one way or the other. You have to claim it for yourself. And, and have that be your authentic thing. It took me a lot, a lot of years, you know, to, you know, the life I led, you know, I left school and all that stuff, like you said, the stuff you're going to look up on Wikipedia, you know, that was all part of it too, because I just left everything behind, really, to just be a musician. And it was my calling. I knew when I was 14 that I was going to do that. And I dropped out of school when I was 15, quit going, and then officially dropped out at 16 and left my parents' house, and then I left my hometown. Sounds like a nightmare for the parents, from the parental point of view. It was. Yeah, my parents were teachers, you know, yeah. they were very upset. Our kids did that, we would be going, what the fuck? <laughs> my yeah. friends got some kids that do it, and his kids, are, uh, this kid's in Starcrawler, you know, which is a mm -hmm. rock band. I've known this kid since he was on the rug playing with his, you know, Lion King toys. You know, now he's like a rock star in England, he's like really great, his name's Henry Cash, and he's a super great songwriter, and has a great band. And uh, I know at one point he, he got a big tour of England and he played like some huge, I don't know if he played Glastonbury or something, he played some big festival over there. And he said, I'm, I'm dropping out of school. And his dad, is my friend, you know, said like, you know, you're crazy, what are you, you can't do that. And he said, Peter Case did. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, what are you going to say, you know? Uh, you know, it was hard. And it's still hard, you know, there's aspects of it that were hard, but that's what made it, like, if that's really your thing, that's partly the track. Yeah. But you get so committed. You're, you're overcommitted, you know. It's also dangerous, I think. Which part? Growing up like that, without any protection, without any money, without any 
idea like how you're gonna get anywhere you know or just being lost in the world you know and so you find your way eventually you know there's a lot of different ways to do it it doesn't really have anything to do with anything except you know commitment to finding your way and being very committed you know i think being a songwriter makes a person more resilient than a lot of things yeah maybe because it's coming from inside you and you, you realize you can pull it out i know that bob dylan said in one of the, maybe the zolo interview or something he said you know if he was coming up today, he probably wouldn't go into music. He would be like an architect or, you know, something else. So I don't know. It's hard to say really what that means, you know, if there is a future anymore. For, but I see kids doing it and stuff. I don't know what it means, you know. It doesn't really matter if there's a future for it or not. There's always a future for the word and for poetry and for music. And so, you know, it goes back to, you know, the 10th century you know, or something. It's, you know, it goes ancient, you know, Homer or something. So, you know... Well, if it goes back that far, then it will go on in the future. This could be the end of the world, but we're in a really terrible situation here, having done what we've done in this country as world leaders, putting, you know, such ignorance in charge, you know, such hostility in charge of uh, the biggest country in the world. And so there may not be a future for music, but if there isn't, it's because everything's going to go down the tubes. I don't know. The the music that, goes between the cracks of the things that go down the tubes. What? Music gets in the cracks between the things that go down the tubes. I mean, it is it is like water. It's invisible, and yet it's a thing. I mean, yeah. you can't really stop music. Well, I mean, if like the world boils over and, you know, the place burns to the ground. Well, nature will still be making music of some kind. Okay, well, there you go. <laughs> Oh, gosh, you know, ever so, positive, ever positive about the future. Music's going on forever. Anyway, points of view, I think protest songs, every song should really be a protest song, <laughs> even, yeah. if it's a, even if it's a celebration. You yeah, were talking so about too. the blues. You said the blues, even if you're depressed, it's joyous. And I think what's joyous about blues songs, even though they're writing about something depressing, is it's a form of protest. It's a joyous... It's a voice, man. Yeah, it's yeah, empowering. It's a, voice. it's a powerful voice. You know, you can go in and rock the place with your blues. You know, so uh, it's not really wallowing in uh, depression. It's not the same thing at all. But people mix it up. So, so we'll see what happens. But music, I guess, is a part of it. And I tried to write about things that were happening in 2015 on that Highway 62. And I was just talking to Ben Harper, and we were saying, yeah, all these songs still seem current. Like it's sad, really. They seem, you know, there's a song about there's two million people in prison, and there's a song about them all dressed up for trial, and the song about people getting evicted, and the song about, yeah. about uh, you know, water from a stone, you know, about immigration and stuff, and it's all still going on. A song about the music business on there, too, and so it's, you know, we're in a period here where it's not really getting better quickly or anything, but we'll see what happens, you know. So what about next in terms of the next record oh, i don't know I'm, I'm writing i'm writing a lot of things and we'll see i'm just writing to find my way you know i write to know what i think and to the real reason i write because i don't really know what i think if i don't write and so i remember sitting there with my dad and he'd go you know what do you have to say for yourself you know about something or other you know and i never would ever have anything to say for myself because he scared me and i didn't know what to say and uh you know i write to know what i think I write to find out. I can't really think. But if I write, you know, a song or something like that, it kind of validates me and what I think, and I, it, I, I get the message. You know, I listen to myself too. 
All right, thank you. You gonna make another record pretty soon? I have another record already made that I haven't released yet. I wrote a lot of those songs a long time ago. Recorded them two years ago. Wow. So I'm trying to figure out what I want to do with it. If I want to write something new, and it's got great things on it. Cool. It's a great album. But it's that thing of when you go play live, you know. Well, that's cool. I mean, that's cool too, though, you know. Yeah. Anyway. As long as you can figure out a way to go play, you know. Of course, the other way to do it is put out the Beatley record and then have like a bootleg record that you put out that has the solo stuff. And well, I've been thinking about that. <laughs> Thank you, Peter. All right, good. So then what happens? After April 2019, a whole lot of things in the world changed and I wanted to be in touch with Peter to find out what was going on with him now. One, two, three, four. at the Pacific Coast at a place called Lands and Lookout. It's very nice here. It looks like a wall of clouds are coming in, but they won't be here for about an hour or so. It wasn't a sunny day. Just the last hour has been a sunny day. It's starting to feel a little bit like fall is making an introduction. Well, you know, wintertime, July and August are wintertime. Summertime will hit in September here. Like September and October are the big uh, summer months. But um, it's different from the rest of California. Yeah, it's just like really warm all the time. But during June, it's, they call it June gloom. Mm-hmm. So June is super cloudy all the time. And then it gets really cloudy uh, in July and stuff. So it's never it's never so great. August maybe a little bit, but it's like it's great off usually through the fall until like late October. So it's weird like that, you know. Is it hot down there? It's nice here right now. You know, the challenge during quarantine is brightness. And I'm home and it's so much sun. I always feel that down in L.A. too, you know. I used to get blown away by just how bright it was. I remember that, you know, because I used to have this like kind of like studio over down by my caves. It's on the second floor up there, and it had all white walls, you know. And uh, it just gets so bright in there, you know. And sometimes it would just feel like it was sort of overwhelming your mind, you know, your feelings or something. But, I mean, I love it, but that's kind of why I like it up here better. It's different up here. It's always kind of chilly. I relate to that. I always loved it up here for that. Yeah, me too. And it's starting to get that way here. So I always wait till the end of the day, and then I can feel a little less intimidated by the sun. It's good to see you, and I'm glad you're feeling good. I was looking at all the records you made, and I mean, when you combine the nerves and the plimsolls in all your solo records, and then there's one record with the breakaways, it's it's like 25 releases. That's not counting like singles uh, and things. That's a lot of records. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of a long story, isn't it? The other day, I just found this like review. It's my first review I ever got. It was 1970. Yeah. And it was said, uh, "Where were the chaperones?" My band was called. It was a whole review from a local paper back in Buffalo. Where were the chaperones? And then it's like all these things happened at this dance, you know, and they were really upset about it. <laughs> it was a really great first thing, but that was 50 years ago, man. So I mean, that's frightening, you know. But 25 records, yeah, that's some, is that true? It took a while to learn how to do it. I remember going in early on and just having no idea how to do anything, you know? It, that was tricky, man. Like, you would go into the studio and it would just be like a real, I mean, it's always still kind of a mystery, but, man, it was really a mystery, like, back then. And somehow we made a pretty good record with the nerves. 
But we had a really good guy. Like we, we just stumbled into it, but we worked with a guy named Kelly Kwan. He was a, uh, had a studio up in uh, San Francisco. Uh, Kelly Kwan was a great engineer. We didn't know he was or not. We just went in that studio because it was a good price, you know. And we went in there, and he just did a great job. We should have done a whole album with him, but we just did an EP. But it sounds beautiful, you know. But I don't think we ever, you know, it didn't sound that good again for that band. <laughs> we just stumbled into it, you know. So it was always a mystery. And then uh, after a while, eventually, it started to become, you know, something that you understood more. Yeah. It took a long time. What you take out of all that, from all those years and all those records and all those different things, what comes out in your songwriting and record making now has a purity and an essentialness in it. I, I love it. Oh, that's great. Yeah, maybe, maybe you know. But back when, the like, it was still stripped down when we did The Nerves, we, we were really minimalists, you know, when I look back on it, you know, it was just guitar, bass, and drums, and the guitar was really simple. The whole thing was so simple. And then uh, I wanted to have a band that did what the nerves did, but could play better live, and that was the Plimsolls, you know. But I didn't really know what I was doing, you know. I uh, it took a long time. I mean, we were just trying to get things going, you know. I, I didn't have any, uh, I didn't have any technique or any. I didn't know how to write a song. It was like getting struck. I think I've said this to you before. I was like getting struck by lightning, just writing a song, you know. So, but at some point in there, I think that's changed, I guess. But who knows? You know, I don't really know. I do know that I'm just always trying to go for the deepest at the moment, you know, so maybe it's getting better. I, I, I really don't know. I'm glad to hear that you uh, think it is that. Yeah, I, you know, I think I said that to you when we talked before. I don't know. But yes, we did talk over a year ago, and I just wondered what you were up to now. We spoke a little bit a couple of days ago, and you were telling me about a couple of projects that you're getting ready to mix. And I'm just wondering how you're doing with the state of things and how that's affecting you as a songwriter. Yeah, I don't know. I've got a record that's going to come out pretty soon. It's called The Midnight Broadcast. And we cut that in uh, last December back in Martha's Vineyard. I, I worked with a you know, small team of people that we did it. And then uh, we were out on, uh, we cut it in a, an old church. And uh, we cut it live to, um, a lot of it was live to Nagra. And then some of it, and then there's Ableton on the record too. And then the genre is sort of like folk ambient because it's sort of like a follow-up maybe to my record, Sings Like Hell, that I did where I did a lot of old songs. And on this one, I do old songs too of different descriptions, including one song I wrote when I was 15. That's an old song. And, but all the rest of them are like, you know, it's like Lead Belly and there's a couple of old blues songs and some maritime material. But there's also a Moog going on and a DJ that like broadcasts live. And the whole idea of the record really is that it's called the Midnight Broadcast. It's the kind of thing like when, when back when we were driving around the country playing gigs and stuff, you might be out in the middle of nowhere driving late at night. And, you know, way really in some remote place, you would turn on the radio and, you know, some sort of weird station would start coming in kind of like not really very clearly. And then it would come in and Oh, this is incredible. You'd start hearing like this incredible music, uh, you, you know, uh, you'd have no idea what you were hearing until the guy back announced it and uh, that kind of thing. And so that's, that's what the whole thing is supposed to be. It's sort of like this uh, uh, really wild radio broadcast. So it's called the Midnight Broadcast and there's an actual DJ and everything on it. There's an unusual character um, named Ross Johnson. And, uh, you know, so there's that record. But then we, I went back out there to finish it up in uh, January. But then the, and then the guy that I worked with, well, he had another record to do. So he was going to wait to mix it. And then he waited, like, he waited a long time to mix it. And all of a sudden the pandemic hit. And then all of a sudden we couldn't mix it anywhere, like without going somewhere, you know. And it became very difficult. And so uh, it finally got mixed on Memphis uh, by Boo Mitchell, you know, at, at Royal. Oh, how great. Boom. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because, you know, records and stuff. And so Boo mixed it. And um, the record's finished. It was all ready to come out, but it, it, that took quite a while to get that all. We had to figure out how to get 
someone to mix it, and then we got them to mix it, and then there were other problems. And so the record's going to mastering this week, and we'll be out, it'll be available digitally, but I'm not sure when it's going to be available. Like we have people on, you know, that supported the record, they're going to get copies of it, and it's going to be available in certain ways. But it's tricky. It's on this new label called Bandaloop. It's actually a label from the '90s that opened up again. And they're putting it out. And, um, you know, everything was thrown aside over by the pandemic. So we're, I'm lucky to just have a record that's ready to come. Then I'm working on another record, but I haven't recorded it yet. I was supposed to do it now. I was going to be doing it in April, actually. And the studio we were going to work at, it was in a building that got shut down. And we couldn't do it anyhow. I was going to work with this fellow named Chris Seafried. He's a great producer. Oh, we're buddies. You know Chris. You must know Chris, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. With who? Yes, I know. Oh, yeah, your friend. making yeah, a yeah. documentary about you. Yeah, well, he's working with Fred, you know, Fred Parnes. Yeah. And they're, they've, they've made a movie about me, but, but I hit it off with him musically. So we're going to go down and make a record. And, and uh, you know, so so now all of a sudden everything's just on, uh, you know, pandemic time. Like, I don't have any gigs booked until June 21. We were supposed to tour the UK in uh, June 20. And then that all got, or March, I can't remember what it was, April or something like that. But we're, we're going on tour over there in June 21, if they let Americans into the country at that point. And uh, maybe Spain and Italy too, same thing. So it's, everything's crazy. I don't, I don't really know, you know, I have not been doing, uh, I don't really have the equipment to do like home broadcasts. And I, I got really ill for a while. So uh, I lost my ability to sing for a while, and then uh, I'm sort of back now. So maybe I'll start be doing some things like that. You know, you got to do something, but it's yeah. um, it's tricky, man. So I don't know. So then the songwriting, you know, where you sort of felt like you knew where it was at, like you know, three months ago. You can imagine, you know, like you just start going unwinding into like uh, just keep going, you know, writing more things and can make you know the album become comes this and then it comes that and then. You know, you get this idea, or you know, try you just start playing the piano all the time. Or you're doing this or that, and the other thing. All sorts of different things happen. And so I'm just like, so I'm just collecting all these different things and doing all these different things and, and writing. And then we'll, when, when we get to that day, which I'm hope, when will it be? I don't know. You got any idea, Louise? I don't know when. When, when, when will I be able to come down to L.A. and put a record with Chris? I don't know. It, it's really like a rethink of everything, you know. So I don't know, you know. I really don't know. Yeah. But that'll happen as soon as we get a green light on that. That'll happen. And then God, I mean, I don't know, you know, with all this time to think about everything. And uh, it's very strange, you know, as I'm sure you realize. You should, I'm sure you're feeling too. I mean, it doesn't seem like it's going to be the same world that opens up again uh, that went down in, uh, in the spring. So I, it's anybody's guess really where we're all going to be. But we'll still be, people like us will still be making songs, I suppose. We will be, you know, writing and, you know, we'll be doing what we do on some level, but uh, where and how it gets to the people. And that. I love playing live. To me, it's really important to go out and play live and travel and talk to people. And, you know, I like, you know, it's, I like playing for audiences, you know, that's where, you know, it really informs me like in a way like about what's going on. So I've done that so much. I got really homesick the other night just for the road, you know. It's a weird thing. But, uh, it's the opposite of homesick. It is. Yeah, it is a home, you know, uh, you know, so... I mean, home's a home too, and I love being home. But but uh, I don't mind it, you know. I like being at home. But then at some point, I was, I was reading a poem actually by Allen Ginsberg. It was the first piece in this book called "Fall of America," and he was just driving. In this poem, he just did like a notation of driving from somewhere in Washington State down to San Francisco. And it was just so much, so detailed. And he's seeing coyotes, and he's seeing all this different stuff going on. And all of a sudden, I just got really homesick for being on the road. Like just the beauty of. See, and the earth, too, just for the earth, you know. So that's why I've been coming out here lately, you know. Here's where I am right now, see. You see it? Oh, beautiful. 
<laughs> so this is like, you know, Land's End, you know. Like there's a few people out here right now. But yeah, I mean, it's uh, a nice thing. I love to watch, you know, you watch the, you know, the Pelicans going by in formation. There's like this gang of 12 of them that goes by all the time. Uh, one way to the other, you know. And the seals all left seal rock. They move, you know. And uh, they used to always be out here. I mean, I've been living in the city for off and on. I mean, I was here in the early 70s, you know. And it's so weird to think that like, when I first got here, I came down here right when I first got here. And everybody was just so, thought they were so free, man. Everybody was going naked on the beach. You know, it was like a totally, you know, hippie world of like, uh, just, like going wild. And now everything is so capped out and there's so many different issues, you know. Oh, there goes the, the birds. There's like 12 of them. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12. Well, they picked up some new members. There's about 16 of them. You know, it's so weird to be here now and everybody's got to wear masks and there's a pandemic and there's an economic freak out and, you know, fascist freak out. And everything. Wow, what a time we've been in. So there you go. It's crazy. Yeah, it looks like science fiction outside walking around the city. Yeah, it really does. Well, it sounds like things are what they are. I'm glad you're still writing, and I'm excited to hear the midnight broadcast when that comes out. Did you see that Scorsese movie that came out about Irishmen? Oh, yeah, it's on Netflix? Yeah, yeah. I saw it at the theater when it came out, and Chino, and like, it's what it is. And I go, is it what it is? Yes, it's what it is. <laughs> Which means they're going to kill the guy or something. I have this other project I'm doing. Here's the here's this other thing I'm doing. It's a book on my lyrics and stories, and it's going to be out very soon. It's called Somebody Told the Truth. Love that. Yeah. Uh, this is like an uh, advanced copy for proofing. And uh, so that'll be out soon. It's like five or six stories and all sorts of different stuff in there, but a lot of lyrics starting early and going ending up late, you know. So that'll be cool. That'll be nice to have out. It's sort of, it's in a way, it's sort of a story. Uh, I didn't put all my songs in there, but it's almost kind of autobiographical. It goes through time. and That's great. There's, yeah, there's songs from all these different times, so it's sort of like that. That'll be available. I'm not sure where. But like probably at petercase.com, I'm thinking of doing some other sort of thing too, where it becomes available too. When you're writing songs, do you collaborate or do you write mostly on your own? Well, lately I've been writing on my own, but every once in a while I collaborate on something. There's been periods where I collaborated a lot, you know, but lately um, I haven't been. I'm doing a couple of collaborations, actually, now that you mention it. I'm collaborating with a poet named Michael Lally, and uh, I'm making one of his poems into a song. And so that's a collaboration of sorts. There's another thing like that, too. Yeah, I mean, I don't have any problem with collaborating, but like for actually, I don't know. I'd be glad to, but uh, mostly now I'm just alone writing songs. Yeah. Uh, I mostly write alone because uh, the point of view comes across better. You know? Yeah, I was just wondering if you're putting lyrics in a book, if you had written songs that were a big part of your history, but you wrote them with someone else, if you could still put them in your book. Oh, yeah, some of them, yeah. Like that song, I wrote some songs with Bob Newirth, and I wrote a couple things. I forget what's actually in the book, but some of the things I wrote with Joey Office and Chris Fracken, like A Million Miles Away. You know, mm -hmm. that's my story, you know. Uh, what else? I put the song I wrote with John Prine. You know, I'm so sad John Prine's gone. Space Monkey? Space Monkey? Space Monkey. Space Monkey. Yeah, it's on a John Prine record called Live on Tour, I think it's called. And that's a story that would be fun to hear about writing that song. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, you know, it's easy to write with John Prine. It was, you know. You know, he's so such an inspiring person really fun to hang around with a really funny guy and everything so you know i was playing at a the bluebird in nashville and i'm getting ready to play in the front table or like you know the middle table there i was like reserved you know and it turns out and then like the show's about to start and then john prine just comes in alone and sits at the middle table right in the center of the place and gets a bottle of something to drink or something 
And he's just sitting there drinking and watching my show, like right up front. And, uh, you know, we hadn't written together at that point. But uh, I think I'd met him up in Canada one day. But outside of that, you know, it kind of blew my mind that he came. But it was great. And he seemed to be really supportive, man. And then, you know, of course, I love him and stuff. I said, well, hey, man, we should write a song. Well, come on over. And he goes, come over about 10 o'clock, you know, whatever it was. So I went over there late, you know, and uh, he started cooking dinner around 1030 or so like that. And uh, we were just standing there in his kitchen shooting the beans. And then he uh, we had dinner at about midnight. He took a pot roast. And uh, he was going through a period in his life where he was living alone. And he had like a Christmas tree in the living room, even though it was like summertime. It was like a train set up on the dining room table or something. And so uh, we were just hanging out there talking and uh, laughing around. And then he goes, uh, all of a sudden, he just looked out the window. I think he was doing some dishes or something. He looked out the window and he goes, I don't know why, what we were talking about. But he goes, how about a song about, he goes, how about a song like Sink the Bismarck about some imaginary heroes? You know, and like, that was a great idea for a song because when I was a kid, I never told him, but like Sink the Bismarck was like my favorite song when I was like nine or eight or something you know i love sink the bismarck by johnny horton i just wait for it to come on like it was just like my very you know it's a ridiculous song you know but uh it's about sinking a german battleship sink the bismarck you know so we wrote that song based up it was about the uh, american savings alone crisis and it was about a bunch of heroes that are going to deliver a smart bomb by hand to a savings and loan it's like a really weird song you know and so uh, we wrote that song, and that's I cut that one. It's called Wonderful 99. Mm. And, and so that came out of my album. And then, I don't know, next time I went to Nashville or something, I called them up, and then I went over, like, same thing. Late at night, we hung out, and uh, it was the same thing, really. We just hang around, talking, and laugh. Oh, no, it was different because he... He, had, he goes, hey, man, I've got this, lo this song. I think this could be like the great three-chord love song. I've been trying to write this for years. And he had these, like, this chord progression. He says, every time I get a guitar out, I take it out of the guitar case, and the first thing I play is this, and I just, I've never been able to write a song with it. And so he uh, gets out a guitar and starts playing this riff. I'm like, oh, it's really great, man, you know. Let's write the song. And then we sat there and couldn't write anything for it. Neither of us could think of anything. And then we put on this record called... Uh, Log Train by, by uh, Hank Williams. And we were sitting there in his kitchen. We like listened to it like over and over again. And he wanted to just play Log Train by Hank Williams. We played it like about six times. And then we were just standing around. And he's like looking out the window or something in his kitchen. And he goes, how about a song about the first monkey that went into outer space? And what he's been doing since his 15 minutes of fame ran out. <laughs> and I go, well, that's a great idea. <laughs> so we just sat down. Like, that song wrote itself in about, you know, 15 minutes, man. We wrote it really quick. It was about 2 in the morning because we'd already wasted a lot of time trying to write that other song that we never wrote. But he called up his manager, which is Al Bonetta, and we played it to him over the phone, I think, in the, at 2 in the morning. I think he came over, actually. John asked him to come over. I think he came over to hear the song, and we played him the song in the middle of the night. So uh, that's how that went. And, you know, I mean, with John Prime, though, you know, uh, you just get in there and, you know, we just laughed. You know, you'd write a line and, uh, you know, we'd laugh a lot. And that was so much fun, man. It was so much fun working with us. I got to say, of all, of all the people, like, you know, you meet a lot of people in music, right, Louise? Yeah. Like, not, men, not that many of them really make you feel that comfortable when you're hanging out with them. You know, there's a few people that are really nice, you know, like, uh, mm -hmm. like I've always found Jackson Brown to be really a you know, really nice person. I mean, a lot of them are, you know, but John Prine was exceptionally uh, of a person that was, uh, of his, you know, where he was at with music and everything, just like super down to earth. And I, I really enjoyed um, working with him. And I was so broken up, man, when, he, when what happened to him, you know. 
So, yeah. uh, wow, you know. Yeah, that was a terrible. So shocking, you know. What year was that when you? Oh, at the Bluebird? Yeah, the very first time when he came down. I don't know, I'm thinking like 89, something like that. Right, yeah. From Blue Guitar, you know. He liked those songs, I guess. And like, we just hung out and I don't know, we just kind of hit it up. We have another friend. Uh, I'm friends with this guy, Jim Rooney. Mm-hmm. And Rooney is a friend of John's too. Rooney's another guy in the music business that's a super cool guy, you know, but he produced John's last album. Yeah, he was just a real, really wonderful person. Um, great, great songwriter. You know, the first time I saw him play, I always knew about him and listened to him and stuff, but I went and saw him when he was on this tour with Nancy Griffith, and they were both playing solo, and they were just driving around like in an old car and going everywhere. I saw him at like a John Anson Ford Theater on that tour, and it was just extraordinary. It was just totally just he was solo you know and it was so good you know it was like wow i mean i've seen him in so many other lineups he's always pretty down but just seeing him play solo the songs are so great they just get the whole job done so that's yeah. always something i've aspired to wow well it's good to see you and talk to you and it is such a crazy time and we all want to get back out in the world don't we yeah i guess so you know i mean it doesn't seem like it's going to happen uh, immediately does it so uh, you know i'm just trying to settle down a lot of people kind of hit the wow it's like August now, and I've noticed that like in the last couple of weeks, a lot of people are kind of like, I know that I did, you know, I was like really grooving there for a while. I mean, I can live with just being at home and stuff, but then finally, like everything added up, and I, I started to feel like quite a bit of anxiety and having weird dreams and all sorts of stuff. That just started recently, so you know, it's tricky, but I don't know. I like, yeah, we all hope to get back to it, but thank God, you know, we got music and uh, art and you know, people and ways to communicate and stuff. But it's tricky, you know. It's a lifesaver for sure to have music and art, and it's great to connect with people. You know, that's what's going on. So yeah, yeah. it's about the size of it, Louise. I just want to keep everyone up to date, and uh, it, it really is good to see you. Good Thank enough. you. Okay. I'll I'll talk to you soon. All right, Louise. Thanks a lot. Talk to you later. All right. Take care. Take care. Bye bye. Bye bye. songs you heard in this episode were all from Peter's record, Highway 62. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please consider leaving a review. It's a labor of love. And stick around for next episode. I'm so excited. We are going to have 23-time Grammy-winning sound engineer and producer and national treasure. Come on. The one and only Al Schmidt. Tune in.